Okay, tonight, the book of Hosea. So, uh, briefly, let me mention that what we'll do is um, in the next few weeks, we'll be looking at their 12, what we call minor prophets. They're probably going to be a one or maybe two weeks where we combine because um, Hosea and Zechariah, there's one called Zephaniah, but Hosea and Zechariah both have 14 chapters and they're um, the longest of the 12. Then you have a book like Obadiah, which is only one chapter, like 21 verses to it. So that will probably be combined with uh, maybe one of the three chapter books. Um, but then you've got some, even though they're short, like Jonah, there's so much in Jonah that we'll probably use, you know, one evening for it, even though it's four chapters. Uh, Malachi is four chapters and we'll probably spend one evening on it as well. But um, some of them that have uh, three chapters and like I say, Obadiah has one, we'll probably combine maybe a couple of those weeks And so as we look, uh, just to give you not just a kind of an introduction to Hosea tonight, but to the what we call the minor prophets, they're not minor in the sense that they're not important. They're minor in the sense that they um, uh, are not they do not cover the the uh, depth that uh, Isaiah through Daniel covers. Daniel, even though it's a shorter book than both Hosea and Zechariah, it's 12 chapters. We looked at it last week. the prophecy that's in there has to do with um, uh, years between Daniel and when Jesus was born. It talked about human history through that uh, period. And then also uh, Daniel deals with future um, prophecy as far as what will happen. Uh, and it coincides with the book of Revelation. Now, as we study all these other 12, what we call minor prophets, all with maybe set for one or two exceptions, like maybe Obadiah, um, almost every one of them have something that's referred to in the book of Revelation, but all of them have, um, they apply to either Israel or Judah or both. And also um, they, there's much reference in each of them to the future, to the coming kingdom. When Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth, there are references to those in, in uh, all of these of what we call the minor prophets, uh, some more than others. There's some here in Hosea. Uh, but Hosea is written a little bit different than some of these minor, other minor prophets because it's kind of like Isaiah and Ezekiel in that it's kind of biographical a little bit when he tells a little bit about his life. So the first three chapters especially. So let's look on into it a little bit and see a little bit about it. And we'll do like we've usually been doing, look at an overview uh, of all the uh, chapters and we'll come back and we'll look at some highlights, hit some highlights on our GPS as we look. So Hosea on our GPS, the key word is the word return. And the word backslide or backsliding is found three times uh, in the book of Hosea. Uh, God refers to his people as backsliding. Um, Jeremiah uses that word more times, but then again, Jeremiah is a longer book too. It has more chapters and it. it has 52 chapters. And so the word backsliding is found three times, and we'll see, I think, those references in a little bit. But there are 14 chapters, and um, the book of Hosea um, focuses, on, um, focuses on Israel and Judah both, but it focuses on Israel mostly and focuses on them before, uh, as they go into captivity to Assyria. Remember, um, the northern ten tribes, the, um, the, the, what, what was called Israel, when they split, it was Israel and Judah, the northern ten tribes of Israel, were they went into captivity to Assyria. So 
the, um, the book of Hosea, most all of it was written before they went into captivity there, but there's a little bit written right after they've gone into captivity, about a, within about a year of that captivity. So um, it, Judah is referred to in here some, but it's mostly all to Israel. And the thing that you'll see in here when it talks about Israel, it changes in chapter 4 and it uses the name Ephraim. Now remember, Ephraim is one of the sons of Joseph. And remember at one time, Joseph's um, two sons made, up two, made, made two half-tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so what had happened, um, Ephraim is located, of course, in those northern ten uh, tribes, uh, which is Israel, but they're up towards the north, close to Samaria. And so what happened was God warns Israel by warning Ephraim, because Ephraim was the one of the tribe of those tribes that was bringing them the most into idolatry. And so whenever you see Ephraim in there, as we'll see many times tonight, it's referring to all of that northern, uh, to the northern kingdom, but Ephraim is kind of the culprit, so to speak, that most of all the idolatry is coming in there in, in Ephraim in the, in the northern uh, kingdom. So in chapter 1 and verse 1, go with me there for a moment, then we're going to look at a couple of other passages here in just a moment from Isaiah and Micah. He prophesied under some of the same kings as both Isaiah and Micah. He was a contemporary of theirs. Look at chapter 1 and verse 1, and then we're going to skip to, back to your left to Isaiah 1, 1. Then we'll go to our right to Micah 1, 1. Hosea 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now we've seen those kings as we studied them back, you know, weeks ago when we went through and talked uh, about Second Chronicles and Second Kings and so forth. Uh, but we also saw their names in Isaiah, which we'll go back to in just a moment. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. All right, so back up with me, if you will, to Isaiah 1, verse 1. And this says something very similar. Um, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah... And Jerusalem. So remember, Isaiah mostly is a prophet to the southern kingdom, whereas Hosea is to the northern kingdom. And they're, pro they're about the same you know, time period there. Uh, look at it again in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So the difference there is, is Hosea lists the kings of Judah and the king of Israel while he is um, the prophet at the time. To your right, to the book of um, Book of Micah, chapter 1, and verse number 1. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. It's right after Jonah. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morashathite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So when we get to Micah, we'll see that Micah also prophesied to both of those because Samaria was the capital of Israel, the ten uh, the, the tribes of the, the, the northern kingdom. And then Jerusalem, of course, is the capital of the two tribes of the, which make up the southern kingdom. So you see that they prophesied at the same, uh, the same time uh, mentioned there as, as those three were, were all prophets together. Hosea is quoted. We won't take the time to look these up, but if you'd like to write them down and look at them later. Uh, it is quoted, he is quoted in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15. Actually, one of these we'll come to in, in a little bit and look at. Uh, also in chapter 9, verse 13, and chapter 12, verse 7 of Matthew. And then Romans, is uh, he's found in Romans chapter 9, verse 25 to 26, he's quoted. And then 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, 
And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 10. And verse 10. So to be what we call a minor prophet with 14 chapters versus Isaiah with 66 uh, and Jeremiah with 52, uh, he's quoted a number of times uh, in the New Testament. And so Matthew records him uh, during the ministry of Jesus, and then Paul records him in Romans and 1 Corinthians. Peter records him in his epistle, his first epistle, 1 Peter 2, verses 5 and 10. So we see these quoted several times, and um, it was written, of course, to Israel, the ten northern tribes, before they went into captivity, uh, as Isaiah did before they went into captivity of the, of the southern tribes. And so um, it was written before they went to Assyria. So we'll look at a quick breakdown of the... Um, of, of uh, the, the book, we'll look at an uh, outline of it, a quick one, just a two-part, and then we'll, we'll break it down by a chapter or at least grouping of chapters. And chapters one to three is uh, more personal, similar like Isaiah, as I mentioned. Isaiah had a lot of personal uh, written about him in there. And so we see, as we'll look at in just a few moments, God tells Hosea to marry a harlot. Her name was Gomer. And uh, God made special exception for that because... Um, in marrying her, it was a picture, as we'll see in just a little bit, it was a picture of God's relationship to Israel. We'll come back to that. Then 4 through 14 is more of the prophetic. Now remember, prophetic, prophetic or prophecy doesn't always mean way in the future like the book of Revelation. Most, a lot of times it does. But prophetic means it's something that he's pronouncing that may happen immediately or very soon after they go into captivity. So um, when he, again, Ephraim represents all of the northern kingdom. So you see him starting at chapter 4, aiming at Ephraim. And we'll, we'll talk about him, uh, about that tribe a little bit too as we go. We'll talk about the tribe of Ephraim, the half-tribe actually. So chapter 1 to 3 is about the prophet and his faithless wife, Gomer. Um, she is unfaithful uh, to him, just as the picture of his uh, being married to her is a picture of how Israel was unfaithful to the Lord. In chapters 4 to 14, he takes that and makes that apparent uh, with all the warnings he gives them um, before they go into captivity. So he um, it talks about he and Gomer. We'll come to that in just a, a moment a little bit more. We'll break that down a little bit more. He marries a harlot named Gomer, and he has three children. Let me see if I've got, yeah. He marries three children. Um, they have three children after they get married. And in fact, one of them it, um, it seems like it may not actually be his child. And we'll see that when we get to it in just a moment. So he marries her as God told her to do. And he says, this is, um, this is just like me and the nation of Israel, God says. So let's look at this a little bit more. Let's look at, start at chapter 1. We read verse 1 a moment ago. Um, let's pick up verse 2 and then read down to verse 9. I know it's just verse 3 to 9, but let's pick up at verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing for the Lord. So what we're going to see in this, um, if you want to use the word illustration uh, of his marriage to her is like God and Israel, is that um, he married a woman that was a harlot, and she, of course, um, you know, ran out on him. And in doing so, God's, God's comparing that to the idolatry of his people. And he compares that to harlotry to idolatry. Pick up at verse um, 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, 
for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the, day, uh, of the house of Israel. Remember, Jehu was, a, uh, was a, one of the kings in Israel, and God was going to bring wrath because of Jehu, what he did and his idolatry. He was going to bring um, punishment. He's going to bring chastisement upon them. And so the name Jezreel means to be scattered or that God scatters. And we know that ultimately they went into captivity to Assyria, so he scattered his people as a result of that. So that's the first child, Jezreel. Verse 6, um, oh, verse, verse 5, I didn't finish that. And it can come to pass in that day that will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 6, and she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, nor by horses, nor by horsemen. So uh, what he's saying there is Judah would get a longer time without going into captivity. Um, a number of years, about 70 years or so later, Judah ends up going to captivity, but he spares them for a long time. Lo Ruhama means no more mercy. God says, I'm not going to show any mercy. And when this, when this girl was born, that's the name they gave her uh, as a statement that he was not going to show any more mercy. Verse number 8. Now when she weaned Lo uh, Ruhama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said, God, uh, then said God, call his name Lo-Ami, or Lo-Ami if you want to use the I that way. Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. And of course, that name simply means not my people. So what he's saying to Hosea, this marriage to this harlot, Hosea, is, is just a earthly human picture of Israel to me. Now, we've talked about before in the past about um how marriage in Scripture, when we went through the Song of Solomon, we talked about that, that it is a picture of, um, you know, husband and wife as one flesh. is a picture of um, Jesus and the church, the bride of Christ. We're his bride. And so in that sense, we're joined to him spiritually, whereas, you know, of course, in marriage it's physically, but we're joined to him spiritually. Uh, we're one. Uh, with the Lord, uh, just as a husband and wife of one flesh, we are one with the Lord. So he's saying to them, uh, to, um, to Hosea, this is a picture of just as your wife steps out on you, Israel has stepped out on me by worshiping idols and, and bringing in idolatry into um, not only Israel, but also to Judah, of course. So uh, chapter 1, verse 3 to 9, we see that. Second of all, or second chapter, we see Gomer who is faithless. That's just another word for unfaithful, of course. And Israel or Ephraim is faithless. He's unfaithful, but God is faithful. Let's look at a few verses about this uh, in chapter 2. I uh, didn't put them up there. I don't think I put one on the next slide. No, I didn't put them up there, but let's look a little bit at this. Look at um, verse 1 and 2. Say unto uh, your brethren, am I and to your sisters, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. Skip down to verse number 6. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall, and she shall not find her paths. She shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better with me than, uh, better with me than now. Now. Verse 8, for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. So in other words, that's a picture of the fact that now she 
God, God says, uh, "Well, hedge up her way with thorns, so she'll come back to you, and uh, as she knows she should come back to you at least." And He said, "In the same way, I want to bring my people back to me." So God is faithful uh, to His people, just as Hosea was to be faithful to his wife, who was stepping out on him. Chapter three, Hosea is commanded to take her back. Short chapter, let's just read all five verses of chapter 3. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of God toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So again, he's comparing idolatry to adultery. Verse 2, So I brought her to me for 15 pieces of silver, or bought her, excuse me, to me for 15 pieces of silver, and for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and shall not be uh, for another man, so I'll also be for thee. The children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in, there's our key, the latter days. So they will not quit wandering until the king comes back, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to set up his kingdom after the tribulation, he'll set up his kingdom of a millennium of a, of a thousand years of perfect peace in which Israel, those who survive the tribulation, they will enjoy the kingdom with him. As, and so when he does that, there will, not, there will no longer be a northern southern kingdom. There will be one kingdom. with one. They will be all one. There will not be just northern and southern anymore. There will be one kingdom together. Chapter 4, we see, see the, uh, that they're guilty of their unfaithfulness their immorality and their idolatry. And um, it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. And um, he goes on through there and says, There's no truth or mercy, no knowledge of God. And um, therefore, verse 3, Therefore shall the land mourn. Everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, the fowls of heaven, the fishes of the sea shall be taken away. And so they were unfaithful. And um, the, throughout the chapter, you see references to their immorality and their idolatry. Um, verse, um, skip down to verse 15. And we'll read 15 to the end of the chapter of chapter 4, 15 to 19. Uh, Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, again, that's a comparison of idolatry, yet will not Judah offend, and come uh, not ye unto Gilgal, neither go ye up to Beth-Avon, nor swear the Lord liveth. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. There's one of our references to backsliding. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. So even though they backslid, he wants to draw them back to himself. Verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. In other words, Ephraim has reached a point of return. Verse 18, their drink is sour and they've committed whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame do love, give ye. The wind hath bound her up in her wings. And they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. In other words, God says, I don't want anything to do with your sacrifices because you've still not got this right. You still are worshiping idols. So chapter 5, um, they had turned from him and God turned from them because they continued to turn from him. Um, we've got a couple of verses in these next couple of chapters we're going to come back and look at about Ephraim, but um, let's read verse uh, 1 of chapter five, uh, 5 down to verse number 
6, and we'll see that, how they withdraw from him and he withdraws from them. Hear ye this, O priests, and hearken ye, house of Israel, and give ye ear, O house of the king, for judgment is toward you, because you have not been a snare on Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest toward him, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity, Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. So um, again, they just kept on, kept on in idolatry. And so after a while, God withdrew himself from them. And it was to, for the main purpose was to bring them back to himself. So we see that they continued to to deteriorate spiritually when they continued in their idolatry. Uh, let's see. Let me go back. Yeah, so we'll go back. We'll go to chapter 6 in a moment as far as looking it over. But um, we see a few things about Ephraim, uh, how God describes Ephraim. Again, remember, they are the, uh, that half-tribe is the one that was really bringing Israel at that point into the most idolatry. Chapter 6, verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do to thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, as the early dew it goeth away. And the morning clouds, you know, they come and then you look at them, and then as the morning goes by, you know, the wind blows them, they, they move on, those clouds are gone. So he's saying that they're here one minute, they're gone the next, and, you know, there's no stability to them. Um, 7 verse 8, Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turn. Maybe that's where we get the term half-baked. <laughs> and so it's a cake not turn. In other words, one side's done, the other side isn't. And so it's, uh, it's, it's the idea is being spiritually superficial. Um, you know, one side they might have looked good as God's people. On the other side, there was the idolatry. So um, it was a cake not turn. They were, they were half-baked. 7 verse 9. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, and he knoweth it not. Gradually, Ephraim and Israel, of course, but Ephraim especially, was losing their spiritual strength. 7 verse 11, Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. So they were looking to those other countries for, at, at their idols and their gods. And so he said it's like a silly dove. They're, they're just kind of you know, flitting around here and there. Um, looking for, you know, the idols that they worship. And so because of that, there was no, no stability, they were very fickle also. Then 716, uh, they return, but not to the Most High. They're like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. They shall be, uh, this shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. So uh, they appear to be ready because they have the bow, but yet they have nothing nothing that, to back that up with, and they're unable to hit the target because of that. So those are some of the descriptions of Ephraim because of what, you know, they were responsible. God held them the most responsible with Israel's idolatry at that point. So Israel will return in the last days, but presently they were to be chastened, chastised. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, he will heal us, he hath smitten, he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Um, 
Three days in Scripture is always a significant number, after two days and the third day. Of course, uh, Jesus, on the third day, he rose from the dead. Um, the, um, some of the, a lot of the prophecy guys, I know Jack Van Impey quoted this verse a lot. I remember hearing him quote this a lot. And some of the other prophecy guys talk about how uh, human history from the time of Jesus' crucifixion until the rapture, um, it, it times it out to about 2,000 years. So the scripture says a day, with, a day with the Lord is 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is one day. Simon Peter says that. So they use that, and I think they have a good point that after 2,000 years of New Testament history will be when the Lord comes back. That's very, very possible, very likely. And so they use that verse two days representing 2,000 years. The third day will be the 1,000 years of peace. And so... Um, um, several of the prophecy guys use that verse um, to talk about that. I don't think they have a good point on that. But the, the idea of it was that he um, would come back. He would, he would return. He would restore them again. But presently, they were going to be judged and chastised because of it. Chapter 7 through verse chapter 12, Israel, especially Ephraim, um, they could escape judgment by turning to God if they, if they would. We won't read uh, in those chapters. We're going to actually come back to a couple of verses in a few moments, but uh, we won't read in all those chapters. But in chapter 10, verse 12, he gave them the key to, to it. If they would do this, then you know, he would, he would uh, again draw them to himself, and he would again be their God. Chapter 10, verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Fallow ground is that which needs to be broken up so you can plant something in it. And so he says, break that up. And look again what he says, sow in righteousness. Sow seeds of righteousness, and when you do, you'll reap mercy. In other words, Ephraim, Israel, come back to me. Break up the fallow ground of your heart. Um, uh, let go of your worship of these idols. Uh, repent from that, change your mind from that, let go of that, and, you know, come back to me. And if you do, you will, in sowing righteousness, you will reap mercy, and I will be merciful to you, and I will reign righteousness. He says in verse 12, at the end of the verse, I'll reign righteousness upon you. So he tells them what they could do, how they could make that right. Um, chapter 7, verse 11, we already saw that, talked about how they turned to Egypt, um, Chapter 8 is where he talks about golden uh, calves and um, altars of sin. And sure enough, just as, um, just as back in the book of Exodus, uh, Aaron had built that golden calf when Moses was up on the mountain, they had a golden calf that they worshipped um, as an idol. And it says in verse... Um, Look at verse 5. Thy calf of chapter 8, thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Um, verse 6. Uh, for from Israel it, uh, was it also, the workman made it, therefore it is not God. Uh, the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. And so um, uh, one of the things they worshiped was a calf, just like um, they did, uh, Israel did in the past when Aaron made the golden calf. Then he describes them again in chapters 9 and 10 by their backsliding and, um, and describes them as we saw a moment ago, the verse he, called, he says they're backsliding heifer, he called them. And then in chapter 11, we see how God loves them, but he must judge them. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Actually, there's a reference to Jesus in chapter 11. In verse 1, we'll come back to in just a moment. But he lets them know that he loves them. 
and he wants them to uh, come back to him. He, he shows, he, he declares his love to them and how he wants them to come back. And then in chapter 12, they make the mistake that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, especially uh, uh, in America, uh, America's gotten that point, I think, unfortunately, that they think that, you know, riches can buy peace and, and that that's not the case at all. And he let them know that, that just because they had great wealth, it wasn't going to bring them peace. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feedeth on wind and followeth after the east wind. He daily increaseth lies and desolation. They do make a covenant with the Assyrians. Oil is carried into Egypt. So, you know, they were making, um, they were, um, you know, thinking that their, their wealth that came from Egypt was going to give them, give them some serenity and some peace and some security, but not at all. Chapter 13, we see that God wants to, uh, to save them, to deliver them uh, in the present, but they will be delivered in the future. He will uh, spare them, save them, deliver them in the future, and he will... Um, he will fulfill his promise. Look at chapter 13 and verse 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from my, eye, from my eyes. That actually is uh, referenced by Paul. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's not a direct quote. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where he says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Uh, that's, a, that's a loose uh, quote from, from verse 14 here. So in chapter 14, a very short chapter, says that he will uh, one day save them and deliver them in the future. Uh, verse 1, O Israel, return to the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Skip down to verse 4. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. My anger is turned away from him. And so um, uh, one day he will, he will do that very thing. Look at verse 8 and look how Ephraim will be one day. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with the idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree for me. For me is uh, from me is thy fruit found, who is wise, and he shall understand these things. Prudent, he shall know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressor shall fall therein. So God does promise that he will save and deliver them in the future. They will be once again his people. So a few things to look at and think about on our, on our mileage here and efficiency. God's love does not mean that um, he can forget sin. He will forgive, but he was not going to do that until they brought that sin to him of their idolatry and getting away from him. But he still loved them despite the fact uh, that they were away from him. Just as he, um, through the picture of Hosea and Gomer, Hosea was to love her until she came back to him. God's love means that he will forgive sin when it is dealt with, and so that's, that's what he wanted them to understand over and over and over. He uh, let them know that. Um, comparing uh, Hosea to Isaiah, in um, chapter 2 and verse 19 of Isaiah, or excuse me, of Hosea here, um, the, God's relationship to Israel is illustrated as a husband and wife. We saw that in, in, uh, with, uh, with Hosea and Gomer. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 54, you see him um, say, Something similar here um, through Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number 5. Behold, thy maker is thine husband. 
the Lord of, Israel, uh, Lord of hosts is his name, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. So he's referred to as Israel's husband there, just as in chapter 2, verse 19 with Hosea and his wife. Uh, both of them have children with symbolic names. We saw the three, um, two boys and a girl in chapter 1, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 9. And over in Isaiah 7, and then again in chapter 8, Isaiah 7 and verse 3, same thing with Isaiah. Uh, then said the Lord in Isaiah, go forth now and meet Ahaz, uh, thou and Shear Jashub, that's the name, and thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So that's one of his sons, uh, their name. Uh, his name. Then chapter 8 also of Isaiah verse 3 and 4. And I went to the prophetess. She conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, call his name. Boy, this is a name, isn't it? Maher Shalhal Hashbaz. That is not something you hear every day, is it? For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. So just as uh, he had children with symbolic names, uh, as Hosea did, so did Isaiah. Uh, look at a few verses, some key verses in Hosea. Uh, chapter 4, he says this, through Hosea, God does to his people. So this is, um, remember when we divided up, chapter 1 through 3 is biographical. And chapter 4 began what we call the prophetic part of it, the prophecy part of it. And so again, prophecy is not only foretelling the future, it's foretelling something that a message that needs to be known in the present. And so he says this in verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Notice it's not a lack of money. He's, they're not destroyed for lack of power. They're not destroyed for lack of fame. They have those things. They have power, or they did. They had money. Um, they had all the things that you know most people would be looking for in life, but that wasn't why they were being destroyed. They were being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Go to chapter... 8 of Amos, uh, we need just a few books to your right. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 8 and verse number 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Hosea or Amos, when we get to that, We'll uh, talk about that verse, but that's very similar to what Hosea says, that God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Um, they rejected, it says in verse 6 there, uh, after he says they're destroyed for lack of knowledge, thou hast rejected knowledge, I'll reject thee. In other words, they heard from the prophets, they knew exactly what they needed to do, but their downfall was not obeying and hearkening what God had, you know, had told them through his prophet. Chapter 8, verse 7 um, we were in chapter 8 a while ago, but we didn't read this particular verse. But we, we've seen uh, sowing and reaping in here before tonight. When he talked about sowing righteousness and reaping um, mercy. Chapter 8 and verse 7. Uh, they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. If, it be, uh, if so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. So sowing and reaping. Uh, it's found there where they sow wind, they'll reap more than that. They'll reap the whirlwind. So um, sometimes a whirlwind can be, uh, can be very strong, not as strong as a tornado because a tornado is a tornado, but I've seen some uh, video of whirlwinds, how they can be strong and pick some things up, not as big as a house like a tornado, but they can be very strong. So what he's saying is they sow wind <clears throat> that may blow gentle 
or may blow you know, uh, slowly, but they reap whirlwind. He gives the example of their reaping what, what they sow. So that's found all through Scripture. And, of course, Galatians 6 uh, says, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Then in chapter 13 and verse 2, we're going to go back to 1 Kings for a moment. Um, chapter 13, verse 2. When a civilization or a country abandons the worship of God, they worship anything else. In a lot of cases, it's nature. Chapter 13, look at verse 2. And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. All of it, the work of the craftsmen, they say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. So we saw earlier about the golden calf. So they begin to worship other things. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 12, if you will. Back to your left, then we're going to go to Romans. 1 Kings chapter 12. So when a civilization, civilization leaves God out, they've got to worship something. Uh, even if it's you know, them, themselves individually, they've got to worship something because you know, there, something has to fill that vacuum. Chapter 12, verse 28 of 1 Kings, down to verse 32. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, Is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and he put the other in Dan, and this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. So again, uh, worshiping an idol, why should you have the, the, you know, the ones who should be a priest? Replace them with something else, with someone else. They were not the, the sons of Levi. The lowest of the people there doesn't mean that necessarily the poorest. It means lowest is morals and spiritually. Verse uh, 32, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, likened to a feast that is in Judah, and he offered up Upon the altar, so did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So uh, Jeroboam was the uh, first king in Israel after the kingdom divided, remember, after Solomon. So here he was right out of the box. First king takes him right into idolatry. And over and over and over, um, Israel, remember the northern tribes, uh, the northern ten tribes that made up Israel, they, they had wicked kings all the way through. Every one of them was wicked. Some might have been less wicked than others, but they were all wicked. Uh, whereas in Judah, there were about seven or eight good kings. And that's probably one of the reasons that they went into captivity later than the northern kingdom. Chapter 1 of Romans, verse 20. <clears throat> I think we actually looked at this Sunday morning, in fact. For the invisible things of him that from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now he's talking about there uh, about Gentiles, you know, those who do not have the Old Testament law. When you read the verses uh, previous, prior to this, you'll see where he's talking about Gentile nations, not Israel. Verse 21, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools." And changed, here we go, changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts, which would include those calves we, we saw there mentioned, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lesser own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. So um, again, idolatry comes to worship of nature or other things when the worship of God is, is uh, thrown out, when, it's, when, it's, uh, when, it's, uh, when they no longer worship him and, and reverence him for who he is. In chapter 14, back in Hosea, verse uh, 4 to 7, we read some of this a while ago, but he gives about eight blessings that he promises them for their repentance and their restoration. And these will come true. Uh, these will all come to pass at the, uh, in, in the millennium when Jesus comes back to reign. Verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. My anger is turned away from them. I will be as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow as a lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. So he gives blessings, promises blessings to them uh, to when they return to him. And one day that will happen. Let's look at the fuel up. Let's look at two places um, concerning Jesus here. We don't have to go, we already read chapter uh, 3, 1 to 5, so we don't have to go back there. But Jesus is pictured in Hosea's love for Gomer. Just as God loved Israel, there's a picture of, um, of Jesus' love for all of humanity, all of mankind. He loved us enough to die for us, and he showed that love. Even when everyone, you know, when people, the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 10, verse 23, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. Uh, there's none righteous, none that seeks after God. And so uh, his love is shown just as God's love was shown for Israel through Hosea's love for Gomer. And then go to chapter 11, verse 1. We will look at this one for a moment. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So as God often does when he's trying to teach them a lesson, when he's trying to call them back to himself, he gave them an example, a history lesson in just one little sentence there. Because whenever, um, when they had uh, been in captivity for all those years in Egypt, remember God raised up Moses and they were, they were brought out of Egypt. Remember all the plagues and then finally the uh, Red Sea parted and Israel went out of Egypt. And so that's what he's referring to here. But also this is a reference to what will happen in the future. This is applied in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew 2. Verse um, 14 and 15, when the wise men who come to seek Jesus after he'd been born and they bring the, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, uh, the Bible says that when they uh, come to worship, uh, the Bible says that they were, they were you know, told, they were warned to go back another way. And then we see where um, that they not, should not return to Herod, verse 12, but then also Joseph was told that he and Mary were to leave for a while. They were to leave Jerusalem um, and, and flee into Egypt for a while because when you read down in the next verses after the verses we're about to read, that's when Herod goes on a rampage and has all the, uh, those little ones under two years old killed. But look at verse um, has 14. Look at verse 13 and read down to 15. And when they were departed, that's speaking of the, the wise men that left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt 
and it was there until the and was there till the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. And that's by Hosea we just read. Out of Egypt have I called my son. And so um, that's fulfilled there uh, in the um, in the birth of, of or after Jesus had been born. That's fulfilled there. But then also uh, he called them out of Egypt to bring them back to the land, get them out of idolatry. That's what he was calling them to do. So as several times in Scripture, uh, sometimes prophecy has more than one fulfillment. Sometimes it's something immediate, and then sometimes it's uh, later on, many years or even centuries later. Home address. Uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Um, you know, wise is the believer that continues to grow in grace and knowledge of the Savior. Uh, God wants us to continue to learn um, and, and grow in our, our faith and to grow through His Word. And then break up your fallow ground. From time to time in our lives, we need to stop and look at our life and see if you know our hearts got hardened toward things of God and got cold toward things of God to break, break up the fallow ground of our life. So let's stop there and see if there are any questions or any input. A little quicker tonight through Hosea. Lord willing, we'll pick up in Joel. Any questions or any input, Donna? Um, you said at the beginning that three of these, out of three kids, one of them may not have been. Uh-huh. Did you refer to that? Yeah, let me go back to that. I wonder if it's the third one. Yeah, I'm thinking that because um, the things I read, it's gone. The things I read up there, um, verse, verse number nine, yeah. Then said God, call his name Loami, the, the last of the three. For you are not my people, I will not be your God. I read, um, I think it was Harold Wilmington that mentioned that it's very likely that that child was not his. And it was a picture of the fact that God says, you know, you can call him um, not my people because Israel is acting like they're not my people. So, um, yeah, that one could be could very well be the one. Good point. All right. Anything else? One of them was about no mercy, the second child's name. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, is the difference, it's like in Psalms where it says um, that he'll forget our sin as far as the east is from the west, is the difference there that Israel didn't want forgiveness and didn't ask for any? And when we come to God and ask for it, that's when he forgets. I think so. Uh, back at chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. She conceived again, bare a daughter. God said unto him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. That means no more mercy. And we saw that. For I will have no more mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. In other words, they're going to go into captivity. Look what he says in 7. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God, not by bow or sword or battle. So um, he was still giving, um, giving them um, opportunity, but then he says, my mercy is going to run out. So they'll go end up in Assyria, 721, whatever that was. But then Judah still had opportunity you know, it was like some 70, 80 years later, they went into captivity. Um, six, oh, six something. I think officially it was like 606. So it's like over 100 years actually um, before they went into captivity to Babylon. So, you know, he gave them more time. And I think partly was because of the fact they had some kings that were good kings, like uh, Josiah and some of them that did some really good things and tried to bring them back. And so Judah was longer before they went into captivity, but their last couple of kings were really wicked, the last one especially, and then God says, you know, that's, that's it, they're going to go into captivity too. So um, that's, why, that's where he shows the difference in those two. Because as we were saying, um, Hosea's time 
stopped about the time they went into captivity. That's about the time his ministry ended, or maybe when he died. But about the time Israel, so he didn't live to see Judah later go into captivity. So I hope that answers that answer. No? Okay. What were you looking for? Just the difference between when God forgets our sin and doesn't hold it against us versus making them go into captivity because of their sin. Is it just because they didn't repent and they didn't want forgiveness and they didn't come back to you? Uh, let's see. Go back to Psalm 103. I'm not sure this may be what you're referring to. Yeah. Psalm 103. Um, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is in me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities? Um... Then you skip down in verse 10. It says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so is his mercy toward them that fear him. Verse 12, For as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Is that what you're referring to on that? Yeah. So, yeah, he, I mean, he shows mercy. He forgives. Uh, but they had to come to him for that, you know, and want that mercy and that forgiveness. But they just kept turning from him. That's why he kept saying, Ephraim is this. He's, he's a cake not turned. He's, a, he's a, a, like a silly dove. You know, uh, He just continued to willfully push away instead of receiving the mercy and forgiveness God wanted to give him. So, okay, Good question. Anybody else? Okay, let's stand and close in prayer. Lord willing, we'll be in uh, the book of Joel next, next week. I'm not sure if we'll combine it with another one or not because there is a lot in Joel and a lot of prophecy that will... Um, will we'll come to, to pass in the tribulation, actually. So uh, I'll have to look and see how far, if we're going to combine it or just have one. But anyway, Lord willing, we'll be at least in Joel next week. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight and for uh, the message through Hosea. We thank you for your faithfulness. And, Lord, we know that uh, by, except for your grace, we would be uh, in a very similar situation to Israel, to Ephraim. But uh, we thank you for your saving grace and your sustaining grace. And thank you, Lord, that uh, when we stray, you, you call us back to yourself. And we know that there are parallels with Israel, but at the same time, it's different because they were a group of people, a nation, uh, whereas we're individuals. And so we can see some parallels, but also we know that there's some differences there. But we do thank you for your mercy and for your forgiveness and for the fact that you reach out to us, Lord, and, and you want us, Lord, to come and to be with you and to come to you in faith through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Pray that you'll watch over us as we leave him here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.